Department Hill is uh, another Fab Five, 300, Franklin Public Schools. Come join us. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, okay. Uh, question from the council. And I think uh, I'm sure everybody has one. I only start at one end and go to the other. Start at this end this time. Councilor Sheridan. Uh, so I guess the same question. Uh, how does that budget compare to other towns our size? Um, other towns our size, um, I think their budgets, if we look at per pupil expenditure, I, just, um, I left a document on your uh, table, it was from the FinCom. I think it illustrates a few things comparably. Yeah. Um, just to open up and answer the question, um, the, the role I, I wanted to say this as I've listened tonight and listened through FinCom. The, the role I have is to advocate for schools and advocate for the students and the staff and what we need here. And anything we've asked for, I've heard this mis, uh, misinterpreted um, just throughout the, in the community. Anything we've asked for from the school is not meant to be a situation where it's taken from another department in this town. And uh, my feeling is if other departments have needs that need to be funded, like we've clearly heard from my, um, my amazing colleagues in other departments, then that's something that needs to be part of the conversation. Um, I'm here. I've heard kind of this kind of three narratives that are occurring. I had two down, and then Kobe, you brought up a third one tonight that I, I thought I would mention. The first is there's a narrative around schools. I often um, feel this around almost pitched as a burden to a community, to our community, and it's there's a narrative out there around that. The second narrative I hear um, is around the what well, we try to. I've heard like Jamie uh, acknowledged this earlier today, but operating in. A bubble but looking beyond our town when we look at where we are in 13 percent in wealth for average when we look at bottom 20 20 percent in funding i think as a community not a town council as a community these are just facts that we have to confront because on one horse we're riding it's it's almost every time that i've at least been a part of these meetings it's where can we continue to make cuts and try to try to land a budget that's within uh, reason, but that doesn't take away from other departments. I'm sensitive to that as a taxpayer here, mm -hmm. a parent in this community, and someone who has benefited from all the resources from every department that's uh, come before me. So I say that with the sensitivity that it needs. The second conversation is around how we're funding and, and what we're funding in the town. The third one, Kobe, that I wanted to bring up was around visioning. I think uh, my colleagues did a good job of articulating what we would, what would, what would we do if we even had um, the vision. So I, I'm, I'm eager to answer that question. Um, one thing I will say is year after year, um, I know since the budget allocation was recommended from the town administrator, we have um, been working really hard to land the number that you have before you in the packet um, to try to get there. It's resulted in approximately uh, 24 non-renewals and 10 involuntary transfers. So the, uh, the idea of visioning, I think we spend a lot of time trying to balance and trying to figure it out. Um, but it's similar to saying, you know, what would you do if you, what kind of pool would you put in your backyard when 
you're having trouble paying the, the mortgage. So um, I would just say that um, I'm open to the conversation. I think I agree with you, Mr. Mercer, around trying to come together and become uh, one town and one unified front on these pieces. But I just didn't want it lost in here around um, our advocacy for schools and being, I would not want us to be um, fitted, not that, um, I don't, this isn't to any, one individual against another department. It's about just saying what we think we need for the system and what we need for the students. So let's say no, 25 non-renewals. Yes. What will that mean for the students? Um, we'll see impacts at the elementary, the middle, and the high school. Some are also um, in the curriculum realms. You know, we are a, a, we're a human business, but we're also an academic institution. So part of the role that we have, it's like an organization with a research and development department. When you strip that out, Toyota gets rid of that department. You've kind of, you've kind of uh, hindered the amount of progress you can make and support you have. Larger than that, when you start looking at classroom teacher cuts and you look at classroom size, that's definitely one of the key indicators that we know over time when you um, see classes increase, it has a direct impact. Also, the quality of teachers that we are able to recruit and retain. Um, similar to my colleagues around bandwidth and burnout, um, we saw 575,000 people leave education through the pandemic um, coming out. Um, hiring was tough. You may recall, if you listen to some school committee meetings, we had 117 people we needed to bring on board at one point in the summer. That was the peak. Um, we were able to satisfy most of those positions. Some are still vacant. Um, but ultimately, um, it certainly has had an impact uh, on us. To just bring, just to call attention in that packet, if you were interested in looking at the net school spending, on uh, slide 17, it answers your question around comparable stats. And what we did is the Hockamock League is something everyone knows and can relate to um, as, a, as a, an area. And is a great um, bar graph that shows um, shows that. So if we're looking at, um, for our example, 9,400, and it gives the example of a pie chart of there's Franklin, you can see. I'm sorry, nine million nine thousand. No. Sorry. Yeah. So um, there's a piece there that I just would point out around um, our percentages at 13% over on net school spending. That's been um, discussed as well, but I just would point that out as uh, while we are over, um, other districts within our community um, contribute more. So I, I pose that as a, a, a comment for the greater community who's um, actively engaged in listening and, and folks in the audience as well. So people are leaving teaching? I mean, it, as, as an industry and a profession, yes. And we see it here, yes. But I think other communities do as well. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that as well. So I'm shocked. <laughs> so uh, I will like use a fees and bus rate that be affected too. Uh, fees are on the table yeah. um, at this point. I know Miriam, do you want to just weigh in on that? Yeah, so there is a, a we are in, in the midst of discussing uh, fee increases uh, for athletics and extracurricular activities. Our registration for transportation has already gone out for this year and the budget subcommittee was, was not interested in the small fee increase that was uh, suggested at the time. Um, so that's not off the table at this point. And how fees compared to relative Um I think in some cases we're a little higher than other com communities, um, but there are plenty of communities that don't have any fees. Okay. And finally, I guess like class size and for other Frank compared to other communities, average class size. We've tried to hit 
through all of the cuts and reductions, tried to keep within the range of uh, primary grades 18 to 22, and then 22 to 20 to 24 for um, our upper grades within there. I will say there are a few that are already, without any new, new move-ins or new enrollment, that are already tipping and hitting that point. And that's not a place you want to be, um, obviously, at this point in the year, knowing that there's a lot of people on a movement that happens throughout the, uh, the spring and the summer. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Sheridan. Councilor Frangillo? Sure, thank you. I, uh, I hope that it's becoming clear to my colleagues as well as anyone watching that we simply don't have enough money to fund this quality of services that I think we all want to enjoy. The pot is just not big enough. Inflation in 2021 was 4.7%. Inflation in 2022 was 8%. We as a town are only allowed to increase our revenue by 2.5%. That alone means that we're millions of dollars in the hole in terms of what our, our dollars were compared to others. So if we want to not only improve services, but just keep level services, the services that you currently enjoy, we as a community need to have a serious conversation about increasing the pot beyond 2.5%. Do that through an override. I think we should have that conversation. I also will throw out, just because I tend to be uh, this person, often gets forgotten is uh, new growth and our ability to grow responsibly in a way that doesn't further add to our expenses is a key part to being able to afford uh, the services that we enjoy. That's first and last. That is the most important thing that we're going to be talking about. I'm about to talk about this year and what we can do this year, but do not lose sight. The pot is not big enough to afford services that we all want to Some of the conversations, why have schools been uh, focused on the most? I, I want to um, equally express my, my sort of disappointment for the exact wording um, of the, the budget narrative. Um, and I, you know, I want to make sure that we're continuing to be uh, collegiate. But I'm also hoping to um, translate or underline what I think was a very real message in, that Jamie was trying to express in terms of our fears of the school budget. Three main fears of the school budget uh, being One is that over the past seven years, we've increased the school budget 3% annually. Again, we only are allowed to bring in 2.5% more annually. Right? So we're already increasing beyond what we're able to bring in. This year, we now chose to increase our big, the biggest line item personnel 4%. A very needed increase, a very deserved increase. Our teachers um, of, of all uh, places 
need to be paid more. But again, we're talking about fears. We increased 4% this year. Well, what we're able to bring in is 2.5%. We're doing it again next year. We're doing it again the year after, right? This is, these are the fears that are being talked about, that the math just can't work out, right? That the, the school budget alone is asking, it has baked in, before getting the money, they baked in more money than we, than we have uh, as a community to give if we just want to uh, continue to provide level services at our schools then we're going to have to substantially reduce other things. Um, and then there's a sort of third fear, and this is what I, I can't speak as much to, which is maybe that there are more opportunities um, for innovative and, and sort of uh, use of money. So I, I do want to sort of at least establish or recognize that those are reasonable fears. And I'll go back to the larger point of, you know, <laughs> at some point we just need to in increase um, the thought. But those who are frustrated or sort of weren't sure where the tension was coming from, I, I hope we can recognize that those are pretty reasonable uh, fears. Okay. Um, I appreciate that you put a vision. And I think increasingly we've been sort of asking uh, our school committee and our school department to really tell us what it is you would want uh, to look like. Because we get um, closer uh, scrutiny over all other budget items, we get a clearer picture of where their ideal is and where they're falling short. And I'm glad um, that you guys did. And yeah, we can't, we can't fully uh, fund that, but we as a community have a better understanding of what that could look like if we all chose uh, to invest in ourselves. This year, though, and now my question more goes more to Jamie. You talked about how, okay, we can't, we couldn't reach, we can't fund what they asked for um, fully. Uh, it's more than the amount of money that we actually brought in, uh, the new, new money that we actually uh, brought in this year. And you said that you want to give um, money to each place. But uh, our general fund, because of new growth, because of our 2.5%, and because of moving stormwater out, and a few other efficiencies. We increase our general fund expenditure at 4.2%. You say that you want to give a little to everything. I think as a community, we feel that if there's one place that we want to increase a little more than anything else, right? We have, we're trying to find the perfect balance. We're very close to it. And we think that our schools are falling short, just generally as a, as a community. With our general fund, we gave 11% increase to police, 9% increase to fire, 4% increase to DPW, 13% increase to general government, and baked into our original budget, a 1.5% increase for schools. Now, I appreciate that you've given us um, a, a roadmap to at least getting that to the 2.5%, which is essentially you know, their share in our new revenue. What brought us to that original one and a half percent, right? Not fully funding them, but giving them less than we're giving all of them. Mr. Chairman, through you to the council. I think I've written about this for at least every five years I've been on as town administrator, I think. Um, 
Jeff wrote about this for years. The biggest challenge is that the cost drivers for the school district simply are just so far away from what we can managely afford. It's challenging. You have to also think of the slideshow I gave a little earlier. When the facilities department represents one point, you know, one million out of the 1.3 million square feet, there's just a lot of other expenses on our side. Part of the rationale has also been my clear frustration, um, which has been exhibited recently. My clear frustration over really trying to do those solutions that we are talking about. For 13 years, this is finance committee, no one from the school community has come forward asking the council for an override. We've all known and we've seen it on Miriam's slides in previous pre presentations. The request is 3.4 million, 3.5, 3.6, 3.8, 3.9, 4 million. Every year I put it up on the slide, we've gotten to the 2.5%, roughly around there. Um, some of this in some ways, everyone knows I have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E. That's my job. My job is risk management and to try to be as prepared as possible for any scenario that comes up. It's very uncomfortable and it can be very unpopular. But it's not just about raising revenue and giving more money. It's also analyzing the decisions that are going to getting made on how they spend money. And I've written about this year after year after year, about the consistent options before the school district to change the paradigm shift of what's going on, to be able to come back to all of you and us and say, you know what? We've looked at everything, we've done everything we can, and I'm sorry, I just don't believe that that's happened. Is that a, is that a retaliatory mechanism? Absolutely not. Every single person in this room, including myself, I know for a fact is an ardent supporter and advocate for the public school district. I don't think there's a human being in this town that I've ever heard that wouldn't say the school district is the number one priority. At some point this year, I had to say to folks, what is going on in terms of the expense side of things? And to look at the chiefs and to look at the other 25 department heads that I, that I work with every day, and you, all of you know, I talk to hundreds and hundreds of citizens throughout the year, all the time, from various ages and backgrounds throughout the entire community. Yes, given the fiscal constraints this year, I did everything in the original budget to try to say everybody out there is, has to have some slice of the pie. As I've ar already articulated quite a bit, there's no way to fund it all for any one department. I think any department, we haven't even heard from Brutus yet, but my guess is, is that anyone could occupy that $3 million of new revenue, right? And so I have to be in some position as a check and balance to the system to look at others and say, are you doing everything? And in my view, I've written about it numerous times, I don't think that that's happened. Somewhere, somehow, we need to have the courage as a community, myself included, the school department included, the council, the school committee. We have to come together and start talking about some difficult things. I feel like we're avoiding it. Really do. We have to start to have some sobering conversations about what the future is. I'm not just worried about an override and a property tax increase as a tourniquet measure, rather than an investment in what parents today want to see as their educational outcomes. These are hard. 
They're very, very challenging. And in some ways, the proposal that came out initially was a first crack at the budget to try to see if we can get at least some sort of conversation started on those things. I've always had a plan B, and I'll be honest with everybody, got plan C, plan D, and plan E. In my book, the budget process doesn't end today. It starts today. It actually starts back in October. But systemically, we've written about these challenges, and, um, and earnestly, these are tough discussions. So when the first budget came out as a crack, I said, I gotta get something out there, I gotta get something filed, I gotta at least represent every organization in the community. I always knew that we could go a little more, which is what you saw there, but ultimately, Council for Joe, at some point, we need to start working together to figure out exactly what those expenditures are like, are there different paradigm shifts out there that we can work on, and then also look for the value-added solutions for the future where parents are gonna say, yeah, I, I can go out there and advocate for that, and I can fight for the schools because I can see that my child's future is going to be brighter. So at the end of the day, you know, we all have to try to come together to talk about those things, and I think that, unfortunately, they're gonna be very difficult. Uh, but I think it has to start tonight, and at least I hope I feel better throughout tonight's meeting and the Finance Committee meeting that we're all getting closer to that reality that we have to start working together to figure those things out. I hope that does at least some job in answering the question. It does, it does help. Um, <coughs> and, and again, I, you know, I appreciate you providing that um, pathway uh, to, the, to the two and a half percent. Um, if it's a priority, I go back to the, the, the Biden quote of, uh, don't tell me what your values are, Tell me your budget, and I'll tell you what your values are. Wait. Uh, <laughs> Please. Okay. I, I, I think that again, you you, you touched upon, and, and I, I, you know, we walked through, and I think like the really real fears. I go back to my larger point: the pot is not big enough anymore. The pot is not big enough, and we as a community. We want to have the fire that we want, we want to have the police that we want, we want to have the senior center that we want. We need to have a conversation about increasing the cost. Immedi most immediately within uh, these budgets, I look forward and will be extremely disappointed if we don't make it uh, the, the pathway uh, to that to that 1.85 uh, million. But I'd like going forward that we uh, recognize and reflect the need to marginally, incrementally increase the funding and thus quality of our school. Good. Okay. Thank you, Councilor Fungula. <laughs> Councilor Hamlin. Uh, um, I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I echo what Councilor Frontilla just said. The pot is not big enough. And we, and I agree with um, Administrator Helen that we need to have these conversations. And they're not comfortable. We have to get out of our comfort zone and talk about the serious things. First of all, and then, but then I just wanted to say, Lucas, when, you, when people say that the schools are a burden, that hurts, yeah. right? I mean, I think it hurts all of us. I think, um, I mean, that, to me, the school
schools, the child, the people, young people in our community, they're part of our community, and that we need to take care of each other and take care of them. And I hope that you understand that there's no way I would ever think the schools were a burden. I mean, no. No. I'm, I appreciate it. I'm not looking for any uh, sympathy in that comment. It was just a, no, no, I, I mean, I don't. I think it's kind of a known fact. I mean, I don't know. Maybe because I'm the face of the organization, I might you know, hear it more or see it more. But um, I don't. I didn't say that for like. Uh, no, a I, I, no okay. I understand. I understand why you said it. Um, and uh, it just it just um, it's one of these things where where um, we need to accept the fact that we need good schools, we need to have our, ch our the children in our community need to be able to have the education we want them to have, uh, but the pot is not big enough. Right, I think we can all agree on that now. And um, I really didn't have any questions for you, um, because I was at the FinCom meeting and I watched you give this presentation, which is another one I think everyone should take a look at. Um, Lucas went through the day in the life of a student and how many teachers and people and adults that, that touches this children's life and how they get through the day. It's really impressive what happens here in Franklin. Um, and I guess one of the things I just want to tell people is that you know, you, everybody, we need we need to fully fund the out-of-district places. So everyone who is listening tonight, you should email your legislator, legislature, legislature. Thank you. Yes, and Jeff and the governor. Okay, email the governor. Everyone needs to do it. We need to increase the. What? Well, chapter 70, if we can't get any extra money out of this, it would be good for other people. I get it. Um, Uga, if that goes up, maybe we'll get some more funds that we can spread around for everybody. Um, and I just think that as a team, we can we can get through this hard time. Right? We can do hard things. We've proven it. And I think I look forward to actually working with everybody and becoming a team and working for one Franklin. I mean, we that's what we have to. It's like, Failure is not an option. We have to do it. We can't just, you know, put it back in the, shove it under the rug and um, wait for the next council and the next committee to do it. Um, and uh, Miriam, I wanted to um, congratulate you on your retirement too. <laughs> Thank you for all your work you do with the, for the schools and for the town. Thank you, Councilor Hamden. That's enough. <laughs> Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Look, I'm just going to throw it out there. We have one of the best public school systems in all of the state of Massachusetts. It's just that simple. We have always had a top-notch quality education system. For as long as I've lived in this town, long before I moved to this town in 1998, we have done well with, I won't refer to it as a minimal investment. If you look at the chart, we are somewhere in the middle. Um, but there is one underlying fact that I think many people are really not touching base on here. And this has to do not just with the, with the school committee and the school department being 55% of our total budget, which is why it gets so much attention, is that as it really is boils down to our abilities to raise additional funds. 
the additional funding, the process that the state of Massachusetts has in order to garner more funding through real property, personal, personal property taxes, all stems from an act that went into place in 1980 that we all know of as Proposition Two and a Half. Proposition Two and a Half, for those, this is my history lesson as a teacher, who aren't overly familiar with Proposition Two and a Half, it was put into place because all of the communities within the state of Massachusetts prior to 1980 were actually able to set their own tax rates. And that was an unequitable way of doing things because towns that were more affluent and they needed something, could in fact actually increase their tax rates based on their values to basically get whatever they wanted. In those towns that didn't have as much affluence, like a few, uh, I can use names, but for those that, ones that weren't so affluent, weren't able to garner the same type of, of wealth based on their, their overall value. The state of Massachusetts decided we're gonna incorporate proposition two and a half, which was a wise thing to do because now every single community in the state of Massachusetts has a set tax rate and cannot neither increase nor decrease that tax rate without approval from the voters because that's the voters' right as it's their taxpayer money that's going ultimately into the investment in the community. But one of the major problems, and this is where the math just absolutely baffles me, is that Proposition Two and a Half, when it was first incepted in 1980, Two and a Half was a, I won't call it an arbitrary number, but it's a number that was chosen with the prediction that this is what the average rate of inflation was going to be. Now, the problem with that is nothing has ever once been changed about that number since 1980. We have had a 2.5% increase in every single community, every single city in the, city in the state of Massachusetts since 1980. The average rate of inflation since 1980 has been closer to 4%. That is a 1.5% deficit for almost 43, I'm sorry, what's it up? 33 years, something like that. 43 years. 43 years. We have, I was right the first time, see it just goes straight My point is, is that every single community, every single town, every single, every single entity in the state of Massachusetts has had an average deficit, 1.5% for over, since, since 1980. So not only are we not putting in the investment that we would like to into making our communities the way we would like them to be, we don't even have the slightest possible chance to catch up to that deficit since 1980. So what this really boils down to is one simple fact. Whether we're talking about the police, fire department, the school department, facilities, or whoever we're talking about, our budget simply can't be where we want it to be because we don't have the mechanism to put it there and no one has ever once looked back to make an adjustment to Proposition 2 and a half. So as far as every city and community in the town of, in the, in the town of Massachusetts is concerned, there's no possible way to get to where we want to be without actually going out to the citizens of our town and saying to you, we, need, we don't need this, we need this, which is almost 40 years worth of deficit to try to catch up to where we really want our community to be. But with that being said, that is our only mechanism to do such as that. So what that means is we as a council are the only entity, the administration doesn't have the rights nor would they ever step up and say, we need to do an override for something. It's the council that does that. 
in all of the years that an override has ever once come across the town council for a proposal to the citizens, and I wasn't here the whole time, there have been 11 requests for operational overrides, and there has only ever been one successful override. For one simple reason. One of the biggest problems with operational overrides is that when money gets requested, and this was one of my problems when I first got involved in the council back in 2008, 2009, was that there were two operational override requests, one for three million, one for four million. And one of the biggest problems with those override requests was how it was approached. It was a very threatening approach to the citizens. And this is what got me engaged, where instead of, instead of our community, instead of the administration, instead of the people coming out and saying, hey, we're looking to come to the community and ask for an investment into our community so that we can continue to give you good services and potentially even provide even better services in the long run, it came off like, well, if you don't give us the money, we're gonna, we're gonna fire 20 teachers, we're gonna let go of the, of the senior citizen personnel, we're gonna shut up the library. This is a, these are legit threats that came out back in 2008, 2009. I was fearful. I was new to the community. My wife and I were having, having young kids. I voted yes for it. And that was one of the few votes that actually out of the 11 requests that passed. Only the following year to come up with another override request for another $3 million. And I was like, oh, time out. We just did an override. Why are we doing another one? And we haven't done one since, my friend. 2014, I believe. That was the last open one. It's just right. The fact is that operational overrides are inherently difficult to pass because one thing that the taxpayer understands is that if we pass an override, that is a lump sum of, mo lump sum of money that goes into an operational override request that goes back into a budget. Now that stays on the budget indefinitely. This is not a one-time thing. This stays on the budget from that point forward. It becomes a permanent tax increase, and that money's gonna go to fix whatever the problem is for that year, but not necessarily long-term investment. So what I'm getting at, and this, doesn't, this has to, doesn't have to do with just the school committee and the school department, it has to do with all of the departments. In order to really get to where we need to be, you need to put forth a request that's going to help at least get us through a reasonable amount of time. I'm not talking one year, two years, I'm talking five, six, or even 10 years long term. But I have to bring this all down to one simple reality. And Jamie brought it up early. We are currently in a recession. Even if nobody wants to bring up the word recession, we are in a recession. We're getting really close to getting into a serious recession where it could end up like it was back in 2010 when the council had to make some really harsh decisions on where to make cuts back then. I certainly don't want to be in a position to have to make those cuts today. But this boils down to one simple thing. We need the money. The only way to get that money is through an override. So if the citizens and everyone is interested in trying to meet a percentage of that deficit, because there's no way we're ever going to meet the whole deficit, then the council needs to have a real number that we can ultimately go out to the citizens and make a, a plea for them to invest some of their hard-earned tax dollars back into the system. But in order to do that, A, we need a real number, and we need to know what exactly that number is going to go towards. And the other thing, and this is 
probably the number one reason, I, I don't quote, I'm not trying to quote all my citizens here, is that if we vote for an operational override, if an override passes, there is no guarantee that that money's gonna go exactly to where it says it's gonna go. Because once the money goes back in the pot, it can be spent at the discretion of the school committee and the school department, correct? It can, uh, through the chair. Uh, but I would tell you that uh, I, I see, and Jamie pointed this out last week, around our roles, around providing information on what do you get for your money mm -hmm. in an investment? What happens if you don't fund it? What, what do you lose? And then what's the context in which this is even being asked? And I think that became, that's been pretty clear, and I think that's the charge that you're speaking to about that. So um, I can just tell you, in, in we will provide the information that's within our um, purview to provide related to, does that make sense? Just to be clear, I think our roles are very specific, but I think yeah. for the purposes of, just wanted to answer your question. Because what I'm getting at is that it's, what's coming up the pipe is basically then what's been mentioned by many of the councils here and many people's systems as a whole, is that in order to meet this deficit, we need to request an override from the citizens. If an override is going to be put forth to the council, and every single time an override has ever come across the council, it's always been approved, and it's always gone to the citizens. Never once not voted, no, from the council. Put, put a request together, and put a number together, and it needs to go as, as our chairman so eloquently put it, one fracking needs to be the citizens that are ultimately going to support this. But the citizens need a guarantee. See, that's the thing is the one of the reasons why many of these operational overrides don't don't pass is because people have a hard time seeing dollar signs we have had eight in ten jamie capital that's exactly and capital capital override um, yeah. that excludes that excludes yeah, yeah, but, but <laughs> eight out of ten have passed whereas only one out of eleven operations have passed and I think the reason that is, is a lot of people look at their taxpayers' dollars and see, see something tangible. That's a capital investment where they don't see the money going into salaries as truly being investing into their community. So that need, that's a mindset that needs to change. Another piece of that is the debt exclusion goes away. Yeah. An override does yeah. not. Right. It's, it, I bring that up because that's the truth of the matter. In, only way, the only way that the state of Massachusetts and these communities and cities are going to get past this problem is if somebody finally goes up to the state house and says, listen, you have to readjust property. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Councillor Jones. Councillor Delorte. I'm going to leave right away. I'm not going to go down the other end. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Listen, um, yeah. You know, an override, no problem putting it on the ballot. Yep. I mean, even even myself, I, I'll put it on the ballot. I'm one vote. Yeah, basically, that's all I am, you know. Um, the, the problem is, right now, you're, we're hitting the residents with stormwater. You know, the inflation is bad. Uh, we have the interceptor coming on. I mean, we're hitting these people pretty hard pretty fast and you know I, I don't know you know I'm going into retirement I don't even know if I vote for it to be honest with you because I'm going to be on a fixed income you know so I'm scared I don't know my kids Lucas my kids love you 
they, you know, you, you, you taught them, they got a great education. All my kids got a great education. Can they live in Franklin? No. They know they're going to move out. They know they're going to move further out. They can't live in Franklin because it's too expensive to live here. And if they throw more stuff on top of it, you know, but we do need to support our schools. That, I mean, I'm all for that. We have to make sure that it gets paid. Um, I, I, I know that I actually have relatives that are school teachers, young school teachers, 29, 30 years old. They're getting out of it. They don't want to work on it. They tell me, as I ask them personally why, and they said, the money's not great, the hours are good, they don't like dealing with parents. That's exactly <laughs> what they said. I'm out of the loop. You took care of my kids, Lucas. That's it. I ain't had no problem. I never called you either. Did you realize the parents like Council Jones? But that's. We do have to come together and figure out something. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, we got to figure it out. And I'm all on board for that, but it's just, you know, you get to see it, you know, with everything coming on. Who knows? We might even be in a war pretty soon. Who knows? You know? Hey, I don't think it's not coming, guys. And then we'll have plenty of people, plenty of people not around. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, whatever it takes, we got to do, you know? Thank you, Thank you. Councilor DeLocco. Councilor Pellegrini. Sitting here thinking how I want to begin, what do I want to say, and whatever. I do want to say that these are very hard times. I think you don't understand sometimes what the council goes through between all of the readings and that. that we have to learn and, and know what, what is going on. We have, as some of the others have already said, we only have X amount of dollars. That's all we have to spend. And to be able to increase for each budget, we want to be able to give everyone something that is going to be able to help them, all right? I'm sitting here and I'm remembering last year, and I know it's a sore subject, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, that we decided that there was going to be an X amount of a salary increase last year, the two and a half percent, and it was agreed upon. And then all of a sudden, it was 4% for um, schools and 25 for municipal, which I found very disheartening, you know, that we would say one thing and then go ahead and do something else. Um, so you had, I may not say the number exactly correct, almost $800,000 that you had to um, budget for that increase. And was that right? I don't want to be wrong. $800,000, okay. And um, that money had to now be taken out of your budget because you didn't ask for any more money. Your budget was approved for that line, bottom line. And to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> that money was taken away from the students. You had that in your budget. Where did it come out of? What uh, what departments did it come out of? The counseling, out of the music, out of the um, arts? Was it taken out of anything like that? 
because it was right at the last minute that that was decided. Um, and it bothered me. It bothered me terribly, okay? And as I said to Lucas one day, I would like to come in and talk to you. I just haven't come in to talk to you because it, it really does a job on me for what <coughs> happened during that time. Um, we're short funds this year, and now you're going to have to take out that much money plus another one and a half on top to make it 4%, and that's more money that's being taken away from the students. And we can't ask you, are you going to be able to um, fund, you know, counselors and, and arts and music and all of this, because that's not our business. That's your business. But I would hope that you would be able to, to do that, but I don't know how you're going to be able to with the funds being so short. Um, I wish we could meet all your requests for money. Uh, I've lived in Franklin all of my life. I've attended the Franklin schools. My husband did, my, my father did, my kids did. I mean, I have an interest in the school department. I worked for the school department for many years. And I'm, I just feel bad for what had happened before and willing to put it aside, we can work something out to get everyone right now on the same page and keep all of the parents happy that these emails that we've been getting, that they want all of those things that I just mentioned. I hope it's something that you're, you're going to think about. Right now we have almost 1,100 students less than we did 10 years ago. We have one school that's closed, Davis Fair. And how do we explain to people that we need so much more money and we've got less students and one less school? That bothers me. I would like to ask that old question. How many new positions do you have budgeted this year? Can we ask that question? I read through the budget here, but I really couldn't see exactly. We had put forth the budget that requested, it, it, it included a million dollars in reductions from enrollment. Then we had put a budget forth originally in the superintendent's recommended budget for seven FTEs. All were related to either special education related service providers, um, ECDC because of our numbers, there was no um, um, position in there that wasn't really compliance-driven. Um, we had a list of what was not being asked, and those were um, positions that had funneled up teaching positions to keep class sizes down, um, um, other special education positions, curriculum positions that were not included, um, but then the budget, um, the, the school committee approved the budget that included some of those asks in, that we, we had in there. So. Um, Moving forward, when the, um, the allocation came up from the town administrator, we had to look at, okay, that second um, group that was not part of the original recommendation was basically taken off the table. And then we had to look at those seven positions to say which ones were a state compliance. Where are we, where are we gonna be out of compliance if we don't fund them? That included um, one of our specialized program teachers. It included e ECDC, there's a ratio you need to include, thank you, um, and ESP for, um, yeah, I'm sorry, for pre-K, for ECDC, and then speech and language, it was a partial position, it was a point two, because we didn't need a full um, full position for that. So that's that's the original, um, when we had asked for the original amount. I'm sorry, thank you. Two and a half FTD is what it, what it came down to. Um, okay. 
also noticed that the redistricting is off the table now? The redistricting vote occurred and there's no changes that will take place for the next school year. But money was in the budget for redistricting. Um, not in our budget. Yeah. Well, I never say I'm 100% right. Sure. I thought I read in here that money was being um, allocated for redistricting. So um, I hope that that's not the case. Um, no, just to be clear, there was no yeah. money uh, allocated. There was a decision that um, was taken by per the, per the policy and the, and the charge mm -hmm. by the school committee. Uh, the decision was not to move forward with the redistricting, right. um, but to set our sights on uh, facilities, master planning, and take a, a, a broader look. The money that was allocated for redistricting was in this current fiscal year for an uh, for a consultant to assist us with the, in the in process. Current year. That's correct. And it was spent this year as we went through the last 10 months of talking about redistricting. There is no money budgeted for redistricting in FY24. Okay. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, let's see. making sure I have all my little notes here that were set. But I just want to reiterate now at the end here. <clears throat> Whenever anyone says anything negative, don't take it that we are against the school department by any means, okay? I mean, these are thoughts and concerns that I've had. I am 100% for the school department. And as I said, um, working for the school and all of that, I mean, I know. <coughs> uppermost respect in that. But when there's something that comes up that doesn't hit me properly, I have to come up and ask the question, okay? I understand. Okay. And through the chair, just to put this in context, it's, um, I appreciate you saying that, Mrs. Poitry. Uh, the, the piece I would say is just around the context in which the questions come, and I understand it's that, it's that two-story piece around in one story, the questions are, you know, how are we spending our money? Where is it going to? How are we um, fielding our team, right? That we're still trying to figure out. And it's May 24th today, or 24th, right? Um, so we're, we're in, that's one conversation. The second conversation is the one that's, you know, when we're looking at, we're getting 10 million extra in base aid from chapter 70. When we're looking at our 80% of communities spend more uh, in education, uh, communities. This is not a town council uh, indictment. This is just I'm just stating a couple of some facts out, out here. We earn more than 88% of uh, communities in the Commonwealth. And when we look at um, our budget, when we look at our 13.3 that we spend over, we're, uh, we're last in the Hockamock League in there. And, that, and, the, and the state average is somewhere around 41% um, um, of what communities spend. So I just put that out there is there's two conversations that are happening. There's one is based in the reality of what we have for money and how it needs to be distributed. And there's a second context of the funding and what we are able to do with the money is really the, the level of service that this town has provided, whether you've had children in the system or not, and um, continues to provide um, is something that we all take seriously. When I look around the room at all of my de fellow department heads, we, we take the charge very seriously to make sure that we're providing the highest quality and we have a reputation um, for doing things really well, but I'll be honest, there's a piece of how we have to all sit in this room the way we are today. I, we're, not, we're not the envy of every um, uh, department head and, and person who has to actually work within the context of asking for um, some of the resources that we, we need. And 
Um, as town council folks, you have to look at the budget and then make decisions on how it's allocated through the town administrator's recommendation. So the services are great here. It's a town I live in here because I believe in this town and I believe in what we offer. Uh, and, and I've benefited from every single support beyond just education that this town has provided. And I want to see that continue for us all. I would just like to end by saying Thank you for all that you're doing right now. I know that you're in the middle of all of this because you're new. And you're handling things very well. Thank you. All right. And I wish, I wish the budget season for you will turn out fine. Me too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Councilor Pellegrini. <laughs> Councilor Chandler. Uh, where are you, Mr. Chairman? Hey, Obviously, I've known you for a while. You've been great to my kids, too. I appreciate that. I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what um, Council Flegley ended with. You, you are you're a great advocate for the kids, because no one can Nobody. doubt that. Mm -hmm. Nobody can doubt that. And here's the other piece. You're a thousand percent the man for the job. Mm -hmm. So don't let, I don't know who's, whoever says anything back, you're a thousand percent the guy for the job. Totally. Um, now I got three things, three Brian Chandler questions. <laughs> Here we go. Um, the buses were bought. Um, you guys, or has the school committee charged you with maybe getting a um, quotes for a better deal so that it doesn't have to go up? Just a question. We go out to bid every five years um, for a contract. We currently have it. We're, I believe we're currently in our third year of that contract, but don't quote me on that. Um, and historically, um, in the 15 years I've been here, we've gotten one bid. We might have gotten other vendors interested in the proposal, in the, in the bid documents, but we've only gotten one bid. Okay. Uh, just anything to save money, I was wondering. All right, um, next one. Let's talk about lunch for a second. <laughs> the, kids, uh, the kids all get free lunch now, correct? Lunch is funded by the state. Okay. There is no cost to students. So if I had three, my, when I was in there, I had my three kids. What would I save each week on that? Uh, depending on the age group, the meal. Good. I'm sorry. Just uh, I use three high school street math. Street math. You're, you're the math. Street uh, math. Person. Use I three high school. I do street math. I, I don't do street math. <laughs> um, the, um, the the cost for lunch right now at the high school is three three seventy five. Uh, I believe it's 350 at the middle and 325 at the elementary level. So depending on where your child is, uh, so that's what you you're looking at. Yeah, roughly $20 a week. Well, if you have $20 a week. It's, uh, it's, yeah, under $20 a week. So Times three kids. So it's 80. 60 bucks a week. Six, for three 60 kids. a week if you have three yeah. kids. Sure. Yeah. So it's that a month then. Uh, so it's six. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what I'm getting at, I don't mean to, I know it's getting late. And you're doing that people are saying that the fees are too high but these parents have how thousands of dollars more to pay in fees than i ever did. i mean i didn't even have money to give my kids practically lunch i went to mcdonald's on the dollar menu because i had to hand them all the dollars i'm just saying you know there's some things that might have to be raised you know <laughs> it's a hard thing to do but that's a lot of money extra that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. We're just, you know, raising a couple of points. Yeah. I would um, add that lunch is self-funded. The lunch program is self-funded. It's a self-funded program. Yeah. But parents are not issuing out. Not this year. 
And probably not next year. Yeah. Right. Right. Just thought about the fees. Um, last one. Um, would you guys agree that the social emotional health needs are rising? Yes. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. So the thing that I'm a little upset about. So we've obviously heard the threats about threatening freshman football. Okay. It's been at a meeting. And so out of all the sports, it's a fact that freshman football is the only non-cut sport. That's it. Traffic. Swimming, swimming. You're all on that? You're all right. Okay. Well, I didn't hear those threatening to be Okay. So, those are. So, I mean, would you be. Would you want that cut? I mean, these kids, they can be part of a team. You know, I mean, it's just hard to make friends. Like, that's a big deal when you get to high school. You know, all these kids. Three different middle schools come together. Mm -hmm. You're not going to know like how many kids, you know, two thirds, unless you played sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, 50, 58 kids. Yeah, I'm just trying to say that I don't think that that should be a, a threat on this whole. But I know everything's on the table. I just want to know what your thoughts are on that. I, I just, I would say, I wouldn't want to make any cut. I think it's all on the table, but when you have to look at people in the eye um, on where you're cutting it and, and prioritize areas, that's those are the tough decisions. That's what you know we we need to do in the role that we have and in, the, in the purview of our decisions. Um, I can tell you um, specifically when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, things like athletics. When you increase fees, you know one way you look at that also is you decrease the season and you sustain the same fee or increase it uh, because when uh, when 58 kids pay $250 it sustains um, the coaching the refs and whatnot so right. it's not as simple as a math problem but there are times where you have to make wholesale cuts I don't say that as a threat I'm just saying yeah, you right. ask the question but yeah. I'd also have to say if I had to prioritize I have to we have to look at the academic needs of our students right. and the social emotional needs of them as they navigate the school day which is a charge I will say to your point Everything we offer, extracurricular, um, our elective courses at the high school that we are constantly having to look at and say, if we had a budget that supported, we'd be able to say, you know what, this particular class is an elective and kids are really into this because it's awesome and it's what we need or it's something that's innovative that's gonna prepare them for something going on in the future that maybe we haven't even thought about as a career. When we have to look at it and say, I have an English class that's gonna end up with 35 kids in it, or I have to, I have this class that's awesome, but it's an elective. We have to go with what's required to earn your high school diploma. Right. Um, yeah. So I think like those are where you have to try to see and how do you prioritize and look at the those grades. And it's not an easy decision. I will tell you, um, we have phenomenal educators, and I think that's what saved mm -hmm. that's what saved our reputation uh, because we're doing what we can. And the, just the thought around. Um, Doing, doing the best that we can with what we have is, is a dangerous way to live or um, to do things. And I would say that for any department, and I don't, I'm not speaking for my colleagues, but I'm just saying it's just not a, um, it's something you have to be careful about as we do this. Because it's an investment. I mean, any, anything we do is an investment in this town. Thank you. And lastly, just into Council of point, I mean, when we see 
you know, 18 of these 24 teachers out on the, the street. I mean, if we didn't do, if we didn't do the extra raise, that $800,000, they would still be here. That's, she's shaking her head. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. If you had $800,000, you wouldn't be laying off 18 more people. And if, you, if someone could explain to me how that works, then I'll listen. But I think what we, we did, I just through the chair, you know, what we did talk about was one, recruitment and retention. We talked about educators leaving the, the field. We've seen it in other industries as well. That's one piece. Um, I would also say that um, we, you know, through, through some analysis, you know, our teacher um, salaries, I think someone else mentioned it on the panel, I think Mr. Jones may have, I don't remember who did, but around being ranked at 10th out of 11th in a 12 mile radius for uh, entry level, and then um, 11th out of 12th uh, in the top step at the time those conversations took place. Um, so I think, I think with that, uh, your point around the math and how it has to come somewhere um, is, is, I understand, um, but the flip side is um, try to support a system that you um, can retain quality educators, the ones that we've been talking about that help um, help build our reputation in the town. Right, and I mean, I like you, you thought of the teachers, I mean, the way it was. I mean, also people have to remember that the lunch ladies and the school nurses did not get that raise either. They got exactly what the town was. So that wasn't really fair either, in my opinion. Those are people, yeah, I hate when people beat down the small unions. That does hurt. And that's, that's, I know it's not you if that's a school committee issue, but I'm sure the nurses and the lunch ladies felt pretty bad. You know, I can just say that each union, we, um, we bargained four contracts over the course of my time as superintendent, and in those, um, those took place over multiple meetings and multiple hours, and we bargained in, really, in good faith to try to land and, and try to figure out how we can make those adjustments and work within what we had, and that's, that's what I can say to you just as a response to that, Mr. Chair. Thank you. I agree. It wasn't to beat up um, any of Yeah, no. I, thank you. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Cormier Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. In the words of my pastor at St. Clements in 1985 on Christmas Day Mass, it is nice to see all of you here today. <laughs> and where are you the other 51 weeks of the year? <laughs> so, you know, and, and then my mother would turn to me and say, well, Teddy, these are the Christmas and Easter Catholics. <laughs> 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 so, it's after all, it's 11 o'clock and we're all exhausted, right? Try to leave with a little time. I appreciate the fact that all of you are here. I appreciate so much because I'm a parent. I have children in the schools. We moved to Franklin for a huge reason for the schools. Both of my kids have IEPs. Both of my kids play sports. I've got a son that adores his tuba more than me, right? So like, I, I, all, all of this is heart-wrenching, difficult stuff. And I, I bring it up because we need all of your advocacy all year round. We need you to come to these meetings so you can understand what we see in here from police and from fire and from DPW and from the senior center and from all of these departments because if all you're thinking about is, oh my gosh, my kid's music program might get cut, I gotta make time to go to the town council, I'm gonna get some time, I'm infuriated by that. 
as much as that infuriates me too, you're not seeing the bigger picture. And we are trying our very best to see the bigger picture. And it is hard when you go out for coffee and you get threatened because you are making budget decisions that affect somebody's kid. That, that's a hard thing, right? But we take it on the chin and we do our best. So the school department does a fantastic job with what they have. Do they need more money? Yes. Do teachers need to get paid more money? Yes. Not just in Franklin. This is a, this is a United States problem. We don't prioritize teacher pay anywhere. As far as I'm concerned, if we had that magic wand and we could give everybody exactly what they want, I would do a gigantic paradigm shift and take CEO salaries and give it to the teachers and make the CEOs try to figure out how to work for 50 grand a year. But that's not up to me, right? That is, that is sort of like this bigger problem, you know, where we need to prioritize educators as a society. And we, you, educators do an amazing job here in town with what they're giving. And it breaks my heart to think that they're going elsewhere or that they're leaving the profession because, you know, I can go make more money as a telemarketer and not deal with parents and not have all these headaches and take homework home and actually spend time with my kids. I've heard that from teachers. Right, so that, that's, that's a very real thing that not just the panel up here has to deal with, the school committee has to deal with, we have to deal with that as a society. And we have to figure out, okay, how are we gonna move the money from other things and start giving teachers what they deserve? I 100,000% believe that. We are a very lucky community. We are a strong community. We, many of us here in the room tonight, had to go to that agonizing week this afternoon for a young man that died. But to see that line down the street, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students, teachers, parents, athletes, uh, retirees, and every parents, everybody grieving, everyone not knowing what to say, but they were there. Why? Because it was important. And that's what we are as a community. That's what Franklin is. We show up for each other. We care. Do we not, we, we disagree? Sure, on all kinds of stuff. Do we get into arguments? Sure. But when the important stuff happens, we're there for each other. And we have to keep that in mind. If we lose sight of that, then all of this stuff doesn't mean anything. Because this is just numbers on paper. Where we are a wonderful community, our kids should be our priority, and we have to figure out how to move the conversation so it's not pitting departments against each other. This shouldn't be about, oh, I want to not give four new cop positions or a new paramedic or I can't give some money to sidewalks because we're already kind of scraping the barrel to make those things meet. Jamie has $140 million worth of infrastructure projects on his desk that can't be funded. $140 million, let me say that again. That's roads, that's sidewalks, that's pipes, that's all the non-sexy stuff that nobody wants to hear about because you don't come to the meetings. But we hear about it. Where's that money supposed to come from? So we chip away at it as best we can. We have these capital meetings. We throw every little thing we can. But it's, it's, this isn't easy, folks. So I hope, I hope and I pray that we don't have to cut music. 
And I certainly hope that I don't want to look at my ninth grader next year and tell him he can't play football, because he's been working for the last God knows how many years and, and working his way up and doing strength and conditioning, and he's so excited about soy toxico. I don't want to have that conversation with him. As a parent, if I have to pay a fee, I'll pay a fee. But what we need to do as a community, and it's been said, is we have to come together. We have to figure out, okay, we're at that tipping. It's no longer a blame game. There just isn't enough money. If we really want to be the envy of all, then we have to put our money where our mouth is. Our police department has chipped away at their problems over the years and become quite the enviable police department from what I understand in the region and their accreditation show it. Our fire department has been chipping away at the problem, become the envy of uh, what the top-ranked fire departments in the entire country, correct? So, okay, let's put that same energy and resources and commitment to our schools. It can be done, but it's going to take everybody. So I hope that we're able to give you as much money as you possibly can. I agree with Councilor Frangelo. I'm glad you put the picture in front of us yeah. that shows us the dream. Because we hadn't seen that before. And I think it's important for the community to see this is what could happen with money. This is what could happen with full allocation. But we're not quite there yet. I think that's an important thing. I think a 10-year plan involving the schools and the master plan is incredibly important because the community needs to know here we are and we're trying to get here, but we're going to chip away at it a little bit every year. And again, thank you all for coming out on Christmas Day. And I hope you see you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Council Comey and Ledger. Kind of the last one here, but I'm going to hold my questions. And the reason I'm going to hold my questions is there's a lot of people here this evening that have sat here all night long. And especially, there's a couple of young people that have been here all night long. And they do have So do all the teachers. And uh, I know they have statements that they'd like to make. So uh, I'm going to hold my comments. School department, Lucas, and I'm going to let all of the other departments know we're going to end with schools tonight. We're not going beyond this. It's already after 11 o'clock. By the time we get through some of the public, it's going to be even later. So uh, we'll continue uh, the first hearing on the on the uh, FY24 budget tomorrow and then we'll follow it with the second public hearing. So with that, I, any of the public in council chambers that would like to speak, please, I'd like anyone under 18 first. sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. Before we begin um, yeah. with uh, minors, we've um, we've asked that they not. Put their address out there. Um, just oh, to yeah. it's okay. Just That's for safety. That's fine. So they can maybe say that Franklin Public Schools, if they are, or which I know they are. But, you know, <laughs> That's, That's fine. Thank you. Ladies, proceed. 
Good evening, and thank you for allowing us to speak tonight. My name is Chloe Bowser, and I love it. Thank you. We are both seventh-grade students at Annie Sullivan Middle School. We recently put, we recently were in Beauty and the Beast Junior Play that the Footletters pro program put on. I played the role of Trip, and Chloe played the role of Lumiere, where we both got to express ourselves in a very special way. Hopefully, some of you were able to see the performance. We are here tonight to speak to the council about the importance of the arts and clubs at the middle school level. Both Abby and I are in middle school band and jazz band and play multiple instruments. I play clarinet and recently was able to learn to play the saxophone through the jazz band program at Annie Sullivan After School. In addition to the bands, we also participate in chorus. I also participate in chorus. All of these programs are well attended by many middle schools, and for some, it is the only exposure they can get to music and arts. Not only can, uh, not everyone can afford to sign up for activities outside of school. Without the jazz band, I would not be able to play different styles of music like swing, funk, and blues. We are also both in multiple other clubs, including Stub Club, and I am an officer in the Annie Sullivan Best Buddies Club. There's nothing like seeing the joy in the buddies' faces when we meet each week to show inclusion and caring. Band for Chorus and drama also provide so many benefits for students. We learn concentration, work ethic, comp and confidence as we learn to perform on stage. But we also learn teamwork, where we learn to work together to accomplish our goal. We socialize and meet new people who we would never see without these programs. These programs also have given me the confidence to speak in front of you today. These programs give students a way to step out of their comfort zone and connect with other students that have similar interests. Without some of these programs, I would not have met some of my friends because they go to different schools. Without jazz band, I probably would never have considered picking up a saxophone. You know, I can play both instruments I enjoy playing very well. With the Footlighters program, I would not have a way to share my passion for all things plays and drama related. And being in chorus has only boosted my singing talent, which I believe helped me to get such a fun role in the latest production. When our parents say to get off our phones, we found a way. Here it is. Footlighters not only provides opportunities for performing, performing, but it also gives kids the opportunity to work behind the scenes with lighting, costuming, and set build or run. These activities also give us practice for when we get into high school. When we get into high school, the arts, music, and drama become a lot more competitive. So once we get, in, get some experience, we can choose what we want to do in high school and be able to accomplish it. To conclude, we just want to stress the importance of music, drama, and the arts at middle school level. Without all the fantastic middle school programs to feed into the high school, I'm not sure how we expect to stay as good as, and well-respected as we are across Massachusetts. Please think of these groups as you make your decisions. Thank you for your time. And thank you for staying up so late. <laughs> thank you, parents, for allowing them to sit through this. I know, I think I told one parent that I thought a guest between 9 and 10. Okay. <laughs> 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 Is there... Mm -hmm.
Can Lucas give him a pass for the first time? Is there anyone else in the audience under 18 that would like to speak? Please come forward. I just want to make sure I get the younger people get them an opportunity to speak first. Hello, my name is Sammy Triganti and I'm a graduating senior at FHS. I will be attending Nova Southeastern University in the fall where I'll be studying neuroscience and hopefully hope to pursue a minor in music. I want to start off by thanking you all for your time and acknowledging the hard work you have put in for our town and community. I understand from everything I've heard today that this might not be the best place or time to speak about this, but I still think it's important for you all to hear. I've been a part of the FHS Choir for the past four years. I'm one of the few people who have seen it go through all its ups and downs. First it was COVID, which affected pretty much every department. And then we had to face the extra challenge of losing three different teachers, in a, or having three different teachers in a matter of four years, when we're supposed to have one. For a class like Chorus, consistency is a crucial part of succeeding. Unfortunately, we didn't have that. I watched at the beginning of each year as our choir became more and more broken. By the end of each year, we were able to move past it because of the strong sense of community that we would create. And then I watched it crumble as we took another hit. The success of our music department relies on maintaining that community, and that's only possible with consistency and proper support. We're finally in a good place. Any strong cuts to our music, music education is bound to break the few strings that hold us together. And the people that suffer most from this are, in fact, the students. Not only is music something that we love to do and are passionate about, it makes us better students. There are scientific studies that show the effect music has on the brain. A functional MRI allows scientists to visualize and evaluate which parts of the brain are stimulated while performing a certain task. There's scientific backing that shows that music is one of the few tasks that stimulates all areas of the brain, keeping neural networks and pathways strong and creating new ones, including those involved in learning, memory, cognitive function, general well-being, and happiness. Not only is music an element of freedom and expression, but it's good for us. It's good for our brains, our health, and our happiness. While many people might disagree, music and arts are just as important as any academic class. Our music education should not be diminished in any way. I know you all already have a lot to think about and a lot of decisions to make, but as someone who has been deeply involved in our school community and our music department since elementary school and hopes to pursue music in the future, I ask that you please take into what you've heard into consideration today. Thank you. like to speak. <laughs> no, no other students. Okay. Uh, there's a, yes, uh, please, you can come forward. Next, I will try and get everybody, every member of the public who came this evening and has sat here all night. We will certainly give you an opportunity to speak. I will say, though, I'll just remind everybody, the town council does not have the authority to say what gets cut and what doesn't get cut. 
in the schools. That is 100% the school committee decision. Yes, we vote the bottom line number, but how that is spent has nothing to do with the town council. Uh, so a lot of these types of comments really, and I appreciate the fact that you've come before us, and we, w I will, we will listen, but it's really the place for these conversations is at the school committee. Please. Well, okay, my name is Julia Richardson. I live at 102 Louise Drive, and I'll just turn it over here. <laughs> I have heard that some of the staff positions and ancillary activities in the music program are being eliminated to help close the gap in the school budget. As a parent of music students and a member of the Music Boosters, I am here to ask you to reconsider. The music program is a shining light in our schools and means a tremendous amount to all involved. To cut any of it takes away the integrity of the program as a whole and hurts the kids who have found, and those yet to find, their voices through music. The music program was where my kids thrived. The incredible staff and the opportunities offered shaped them into the young adults they are, and I have to call them out. Mr. Ireland started my son on his path to where he is today. Um, and put them on their current paths. My son is at Berkeley College of Music, and the other is preparing to apply to some of the best music conservatories in the world. My kids are living their dreams, and I truly don't know if they would be doing that without all the programs at Franklin. I am so grateful for the opportunities they had, and the thought that other children might not get the same breaks my heart. As a music booster, I can tell you the Franklin program is one of the best in the state winning awards and creating musicians who are being recognized beyond our town. This year at the Senior District's concert, a third of the jazz band was made up of Franklin students, more than double the number from any other school. Not to be outdone, the FHS Jazz Band won gold at the state MAJE Festival. Franklin is home to some of the finest high school jazz musicians in the state of Massachusetts, and I am not exaggerating. If you haven't heard, I know you've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> But in your budget presentation, Ms. Digiguerre, you included a reduction to the middle school extracurricular activities, and I'm devastated to hear that the after-school jazz bands may be part of the reduction. Together, they serve as a feeder to the high school jazz program, and without them, we are putting our young musicians at a disadvantage compared to other schools, and our next generation of Franklin jazz phenoms may never be. The kids in the high school concert bands, orchestras, and choruses excelled this year as well. 23 made it to senior districts, and five went on to Allstate. At MICA, both high school orchestras and the wind ensemble earned golds, and the chorus and concert band earned silvers. For the students, these medals are the equivalent of winning a state championship. They are the result of hard work and dedication and the source of great pride. But without the incredible staff, who specializes in each ensemble, these successes will be talked to, okay, if at all. At the middle schools, music took a huge hit during COVID. Many students quit because it's too difficult to learn an instrument online, never mind sing. Now the programs are in the process of rebuilding. We should be supporting music to help us return to pre-COVID levels, not cutting. Otherwise, not only will the middle school programs be hurt, but so will the high school. As it is, we'll be seeing smaller numbers at the high school for the next six years. It'll be longer with any cuts of all, at all. 
Finally, there's another, maybe more important reason to support music. Students have found their community in the music program with people they can relate to and adults who support and care for them. In these rooms, they feel safe. It's terrible that they need a safe place, but they do. Don't take that away from them or future students. And to end, I would just like to ask you to please keep the words of Bruce Springsteen in mind. In his song, Born to Run, he sings, Wendy, let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to guard your dreams and visions. Guard your dreams and visions. That is our job, every one of us as adults, to guard the dreams and visions of every single kid who walks the halls of Franklin Public Schools. Please don't let them down. I'm going to turn it back because, as Kobe said, we're kind of all one Franklin, and this is getting money to our schools is, is all of our responsibility. Um, my name is Selena Cousin, and I live at 114 Beach Street, and I have two boys. We've gone from ECPC through Kennedy, HMMS, and I have one at the high school now. What kind of public education do we want for the students of Franklin? We live in one of the wealthiest communities in the area and yet we make do with one of the absolute lowest per student expenditures around. This is simply unacceptable. Each year we ask our school leadership to make impossible decisions about what essential programs, activities, and personnel to cut, combine, overlook, ignore, in order to work within those budgetary limitations. As a result, we essentially deprive our students the high quality public educational experience they deserve. Over the past 20 years, and I do watch all the meetings from home of both school committee and town council, we have seen five superintendents be forced during their very short tenures to annually make lose-lose kinds of decisions by cutting too many teachers, programs, classes, extracurricular clubs and activities, after-school late buses, and even an entire elementary school. All while at the same time raising class sizes, counselor ratios, and increasing all the different fees passed on to families for buses, sports, activities, etc. Sadly, we have never seen any of these programs and activities that have been cut or decreased ever return in full again. That's in 20 years. Franklin students deserve lower teacher-student classroom ratios. Franklin students deserve to have a budget for stipends to pay teachers to run clubs extracurricular activities, and National Honor Society organizations at our middle schools and high school. Unfortunately, for example, Franklin High School no longer has a Spanish or French National Honor Society, though it was one of the most popular clubs, simply because there are no stipends available to pay the teachers willing to run the clubs. It is insulting to expect teachers to volunteer their time to lead after-school activities. Franklin students deserve counselors with reasonably sized caseloads so that all students get the support they need and counselors can do more than merely triage and do crisis intervention. Franklin students deserve to have much lower levels of self-reported depression and suicidal ideation. Our post-pandemic teens and tweens need school counselors now more than ever. Franklin students deserve a school system that can afford to pay enough to keep the most talented, creative, and dedicated teachers, principals, and administrators here in Franklin rather than watching them leave every year through a revolving door to other higher paying districts. Franklin students deserve chorus and instrumental music in all of our schools. 
Foreign language options, French, Spanish, Latin, for all middle schoolers. Study halls at FHS with less than 125 students in them, so students can study. And more AP and higher level classes to allow for more college acceptances to top tier and Ivy League universities. Whew, friends. I think Kobe said it the best, but we have reached a tipping point. The time is way overdue for us to stand up for our Franklin Public Schools. We need to do more than just continue to make painful, essential cuts each year and force our teachers and administrators to just make do with whatever is left. It's time to give the kids in our community the public education they truly deserve. When our schools are great, our community thrives, and we all benefit. Franklin is proudly the birthplace of Horace Mann, the father of public education, and our students are our future. Let's finally do more than just meet the standards. Let's exceed expectations and watch this next generation thrive. Thank you. start out with an illustration and it's not specific about schools at all of Franklin. So when NASA lost rockets with the goal to head to the moon, the mere fact that the rocket pointed toward the sky with tons of fuel was not enough to get to the moon. A TV reporter became very interested in Apollo's trips to the moon and wanted to know what they actually talked about between the capsule and NASA. And he was surprised to find out that the conversations were devoted to course corrections. Apparently, the lunar spacecraft was off course sometimes 85% of the time. Once leaving the Earth's orbit, because of limitations of fuel, the spacecraft mostly drifted, unpropelled to the moon, but occasionally, small rockets were fired to correct the course. Does that sound a little familiar to us? We need to devote more time to talk about course corrections and to realize it needs to be part of frequent interactions as we steer the Franklin ship. A lot of time has been spent over recent years with a focus on limiting or reducing expenses, and I would call that the time of drifting, using my illustration. We are drifting without expending additional fuel, staying within the means of what we have to work with. A week or so ago during the finance meetings, and I did attend those sometime. <laughs> I'm not uh, Christmas Catholic. <laughs> there came a shift in discussion where a question was asked one evening several times. There was a rainbow in a pot at the end, and how would you spend it? Our police and fire chief responded not with pie in the sky answers, but with visions of the needs of the department. And while this question was not asked of the school committee of presenting, Mr. Jagir, while he was speaking to his piece, did start talking a little bit about that the school needs to begin to differently prepare for our students for the next steps to be addressing the future. I want to encourage our town leadership, our council, our school committee, our finance, to continue to encourage to have these forward-thinking course correction conversations of not just what is needed to close the gaps, but where we need to be headed. We need your help to articulate the vision where we need to be going and what is looming as a town that we need to be addressing. We need to collectively understand what those goals are and the new targets that we need to be striving for as a community to maintain and enhance the quality of life. 
that me might mean how we support and respond to an aging population here in town, how we educate and train the next generation, what infrastructure needs to be addressed to meet the demands of today and tomorrow. It does take courage to be visionary, to go beyond what has been defined, to help the community understand, and then take the next step forward. There are times that we need to be brave and to do the burn, to do the course correction, and then be comfortable to be able to then drift again. I like to think that that proposition two and a half was really a cruise control to drifting, but it gave us as citizens the provision and the opportunity to occasionally cruise, to do burns, to do to spend the precious fuel to get back on track. Thank you. My name is Donna Grady, and I live at either 500 Lincoln Street or this building. Um, I, am, I am the president of the Franklin Education Association. I am, a third, I am finishing up 35 years at a, as an early childhood educator and 25 years in Franklin. Um, I currently represent almost 600 members in town, from cafeteria, van, to teachers, nurses. Pretty much everybody, except for custodians. Um, I am used to very difficult conversations. I am a veteran teacher. I have been through Proposition Two and a Half. I have been through shift changes. I have been through all of that. The answer is in front of us. We are one Franklin. The paradigm doesn't need to shift. We don't need a miracle. It's in front of us. The miracle is the children. We owe them the future that we want for them. And the future is coming together. Um, you know, what Lucas said earlier is I have to agree with, in a lot of the conversations that I hear, I feel like as a school teacher, that we are a burden to a town. Um, and I say that as I'm told that my budget for my schools are 25% less so again, I'm being asked to do more with less for the children. Years ago, the FEA started a coalition with all of the other unions because we wanted to work together for the betterment, the betterment of this town. My grandfather was a Boston firefighter. My cousin is a Boston police officer. I know how to make a town better or how a town is made better when everybody works together, and especially when it's for the children. So it's really distressing to hear we're not trying to pit people against each other when one section of town is gonna get an 11% raise and one section was earmarked for one quarter five. That doesn't sit quite right with me. Or that no one has asked for an override. We are one community for the children. So, Mr. Chairman, I understand what you're saying, you can't allocate, and I'm not asking you to do that, but what I'm asking everybody to do is to come together as one, um, as one for the kids. The kids today are not even the kids that we had at the beginning of the year. Yes, we're 11,000 students less in one school less, but the kids today need so much more Technology is a wonderful thing, except when it comes to kids, honestly. Um, 
Kids now need coping skills. They need, they don't know how to play. They don't know how to talk to each other. So before, when I started, years ago when I started teaching, maybe you needed one or two adults to interact with a student to help them get through whatever academics were at that time. Now you may need five, six, seven, just to get them where they need to be, and they deserve that. This afternoon, I had an entire two departments come to me with wonderful teachers who had received pink slips. Four of those teachers have already gone to other districts. They've accepted other offers. Franklin, when I came, and the year I came, we hired 75 teachers. 72 of us are still here. Wow. Franklin was the envy of districts in Massachusetts. And I know this because I'm involved in the state in the state association. Franklin is not the envy anymore because people know we come and we lay off. We come and we lay off. Our children deserve better than that. This community deserves better than that. We need to keep the educators who come and want to lift up this community and these children. These children belong to all of us. We need to make it better for them. Thank you. Rosanna Sullivan, 175 Oak Street. Um, I, I, I want to. I wasn't planning on saying this, so I'll kind of just di just digress a little bit. I wasn't expecting this to be the way it is tonight. I I, I sense the burden of our superintendent um, feeling like he's the burden. I talk to teachers all the time. Um, the way. I think, I think all of the town councilors should go back and watch this on Zoom and see what it looks like when all the other departments are up there and we're joking around and what do you need and explain why you need that staff and we're joking and we're supporting and we're, and we're thank you, thank you, thank you, you guys are great. And then it's like, this guy gets up here and he's like on the hot seat, he can't even propose an override. So if, if we need, if we have a tenured council and we have a you know younger whatever school count, school committee, then maybe they need to be guided. Maybe guys, guys, come to us with an override if you need this. We're at the Joint Budget Subcommittee. So anyway, I digress. I just, <sighs> thank you for all you do, Mr. Deere. Um, it's been 16 years since Franklin's passed an override. In 2008, we were ranked in the bottom 50% of towns for school spending. Currently, in 2023, we're now at under 20% um, compared to other towns in Massachusetts, not the envy of other towns. Um, this is the absolute bare minimum mandated by the state. It's embarrassing, especially as our wealth has continued to rise. To be clear, Franklin is in the top 13% of wealthiest towns in Massachusetts. We pay in the bottom 20%. I also want to mention our investment in our educators' salaries, which is decided in collective bargaining, not in a, this is how much we have. I mean, it is what it is. I don't know how to manage a, a union that's very strong and when teachers come with lots of data, I see them striking all over the place and now all of a sudden we're supposed to be held to a number. So maybe politically it wasn't done right. Somebody should have said, hey, heads up, we, they're demanding more, but um, it just, whatever. Franklin teachers have received an average raise of 1.8% over the last 18 years. 
including the most challenging years of their career during the pandemic, 2019, 1%, 2020, 1.5, 2021, 1.5. The average teacher salary in Franklin is $10,000 below Foxborough, $8,000 below Mansfield, $5,000 below Milford. Um, I'm proud that they advocated for themselves. We're at a tipping point. Uh, we don't want the, the support of the schools to come at the expense of other departments. I've come, I've watched every FinCom meeting, I've watched every town council meeting. I listen, I know what the other departments need. Um, these guys are like, have a long history with our superintendent. I watched them engage and I, I think we are one, Franklin. I think that you guys have a little PTSD from the last time we tried to do an override in 2007. Um, we've got a really strong community. We're ready to make this happen for you. Um, so I, I do HR consulting for the private sector. Um, the great resignation is all I talked about for the last three years. Um, trying to retain and recruit people is impossible. So um, to, to think that you know during the collective bargaining process there wasn't gonna be some give, um, it's just unrealistic. So there's a lot, it's sort of unprecedented times. Um, so, and our home values continue to grow, grow and grow. Um, I know some people say they're not wealthy in the community, that's fine, on paper we are. Um, a lot of people's wealth is, is wrapped up in the equity of their home. So, um, but the schools are the number one reason people move here um, and we refuse to do better. I don't believe Franklin wants to be that bottom 20%. I think it's embarrassing and shameful. Um, and I'm just gonna quickly read a list of towns that pay more than we do that I pulled out of the statistics. Topsfield, Holyoke, Amesbury, Norwood. This is local contribution. Brookfield, Marlboro, Millbury, Stoughton, Tewkesbury, Saugus, West Boylston, Webster, New Bedford, Chicopee, Uxbridge, Medway, Plainville, Lowell, Chelmsford, Norton, Milford, Everett. I gave us a bunch because I don't want to pick on one, one particular town, but I went to towns that I thought people would think, oh, yeah, we'd pay less than that. So, thank you.
it doesn't work that way. And sooner or later, we do reach the tipping point. Now we're there. So everybody, talk to your neighbors, talk to your family, talk to everyone you can, and get them to come out to vote, because that's what we really need. Thank you.
if you would unmute yourself. Hello, good night. Thank you for everything. I just want to share something really quick. Um, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to be here and understand how this process works. And it's obvious that we are all very passionate about our town. It's almost midnight and we're still here. And when we talk about education, the emotions are high. But I think that the council have been really transparent and I really appreciate it. Um, we don't have the money. Okay, we got it. I think it's, we can also take this as an invitation for the community to come together and find new solutions to old problems. And I think we can. We are here now, and I just wanted to share that. I appreciate everyone's comments tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in Zoom land? Okay. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna keep mine very, very short. Uh, I, I have a couple of specific questions that I'm just like, what's the projected status of the school revolving fund surplus at the end of FY23? Um, I would say by the end of 23, we'll probably have close to including food service, um, 8.4 million, roughly. And under, under the current town administrator's proposed budget, and I'm gonna take it a half a step back and say, with his plan B, which is the two and a half percent, which gets you 1.8 million. What would, what's the projected surplus at the end of FY24, or what would it be? And if you need, I, I mean, we're here tomorrow, so uh, <laughs> uh, if, if you need, I just kind of get, like to get an idea as to what would be left in those revolving accounts. And my concern, and again, uh, for those of you who don't know, I served 10 years on the school committee and I chaired it for eight in the 90s when we were the fastest growing community in the state of Massachusetts. I've been through all the rides. Under my tenure, pay to ride came in, pay to play came in. So I get it all. Uh, my concern is the strategic planning that needs to be done to put a proper override question to the community. And that takes time, and it takes effort to put it together. Just, just, and it's our job as a council to agree to put a question on the ballot. It's the school department, or the fire department, or the police department, or a combination of DPW, or a combination of all to request 
to the council that an override is needed. The, the time and effort that's needed to put that plan together is daunting. And I'm, some of you are probably very much tuned into it. Some of you are probably not. Because involved in that is, if you put an override question out at the end of the year, the spring of next year, you put an override question out, you're not gonna be able to come back with an override question in 25. You're not gonna be able to come back with one in 26. You get one shot. Now, my concern as we move forward, if we look at the salary increase in the school department for FY23, it's a $3 million increase in salary, which is the biggest part of, biggest part of the budget. And Jamie answered the real question in a slide presentation and my concern is, how do we make that sustainable? It's not just dealing with it right now. It's how do we make it sustainable going forward? And we also know that next year, we've got another increase, the same. And the next year, we've got another one. And I'm not saying that the teachers and the unions that got the four, four, and four, didn't deserve it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, how do we sustain those numbers? And that's part of building the strategic plan to put an override question to the community. What is that number? What does it include? Does it include roads? Does it include uh, additional police? Does it include additional fire? What does it include for the schools? What is that number? That could be a daunting number destined for failure because of the number. So I think we need to take just a half a step back and look at how we build that strategic plan. And the way we do that, in my opening statements, I made comments uh, uh, about coming together. And I've met with uh, Denise and Lucas and Jamie and I, I've met a couple of times talking about planning moving forward. And how important the Joint Budget Subcommittee can be because they are, that's the group. It's the Budget Subcommittee of the Schools, Budget Subcommittee of the Council, budget, and the Finance Committee, and a, uh, a group from the Finance Committee. The, those, that group of people are the people looking at the numbers every day. And we need to be looking out, not just one year, not just two years, not just three years. We need to be looking out five years. And we need to figure out what that number is. And then it's up to the community to sell it. The last debt exclusion that passed was the high school. Uh, I was an integral part of that. But I can tell you, I was out in homes, speaking to groups for six months 
Past three to one. But you have to do the work. And that takes a grassroots organization. And it takes a grassroots organization that needs to begin that process soon. Just to be ready when the Joint Budget Subcommittee and the Town Council come up with a number that we can feel comfortable with that's not daunting to the community but yet satisfies some of the needs that we have. Because as I said early on, it'd be nice to say, yep, we'll give everybody everything they want, but that's not realistic. So we have to develop this plan, and I believe it takes, it, I know it takes time, and it's gonna take a lot of hard work from not only the school committee, the town council, the administration, uh, both on the municipal side as well as the town side, to look out five years and say, okay, uh, these, these are our needs. Because one of the things I've said to many people is right now, uh, and I think Councilor DeLocco mentioned it early on, we're dipping into the residents' pockets four times this fall. This fall without any of this. Stormwater, the uh, Beaver Street Interceptor, the coal, Tri-County. Tri those, are, those are dips into every taxpayer's pocket. So I think along with this is the strategy to, when is the best time to do this? And certainly that takes planning as well. But we can do it. We are one Franklin. And as every person sitting on this council feels the exact same way, there's not enough money right now. As Councilor Frangillo alluded to, the pot just isn't big enough. We have to deal with the pot that we have right now. And if we can get you to, if we can get the school department to the uh, plan B, which is the two and a half, uh, Jamie's plan B, uh, to the two and a half percent that gets you to the 1.8, can, can we get through the year? And then we look to building what we need to do and then go out and Bring it to the community. Will it pass? <laughs> Who's got a crystal ball? Uh, nobody. But I think if we do our homework and do it right and present, uh, prevent stats that are real and that people understand that it will give us the best opportunity to increase the dollars that we have to distribute and to allocate throughout the community. It's late. <laughs> I gotta be up for four hours. <laughs> and, and I apologize for the late hour, but I didn't want to stop the school department discussion in the middle. 
So, and I apologize for all the departments we didn't get to, but at this juncture, uh, unless Jamie, do you have anything that you want? The only uh, thing, Mr. Chairman, is just that we get to close this port this hearing tonight. Uh, I have to continue it, I believe. Based on what you said earlier, move to continue this hearing and then follow the close. Right, right. So, <laughs> to get all this legalese correct, uh, because by law, we have to have two public hearings on the FY24 budget. Tonight, we've had one, but we didn't complete it. So, we will continue uh, the first public hearing tomorrow night and immediately go into the second public hearing. After all questions have been uh, asked of the other departments. Uh, so uh, I don't think I need a motion to continue it. I would to. You would? 7 o'clock tomorrow. Okay. So moved. All right. So moved. <laughs> 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 I love to do makeup. Okay. Alright, so there's a motion and a second on the floor. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. We are now I producing this in collaboration with Franklin. By the TV way, you can also and subscribe Franklin and listen Public to Franklin Radio. Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. For Franklin, but we Search can't in podcasts alone. for Franklin we can always use Matters. Your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.